This year we've been talking about building a sure foundation, and that's specifically about the Northside congregation and uh, building a foundation uh, here among this family. And uh, we've had a number of different series. Our series that we're engaged in right now is entitled Perfectly United. It's the, uh, this is the sixth lesson that we've had in this series. And so far we've talked about the importance of unity, how important unity is. And you remember Jesus prayed for unity. It was the last thing he asked for. Uh, unity is who we are. We are the body of Christ. We need to strive for unity. Uh, we talked about what really causes division. Uh, the flesh causes division. The spirit creates unity. The flesh creates division. Uh, we talked about how we can create unity, specific things that you can do to promote unity in this family. Uh, we talked about being united in doctrine. And last time we talked about uniting the weak and the strong. We looked at Romans chapter 14 and talked about different uh, understandings of disputable matters and what we needed to do about that. So that's where we've been. Our key verse is 1 Corinthians 1.10, uh, where Paul implored us, urged us from the church in Corinth uh, to be perfectly united, to agree with one another, to have no divisions, to be perfectly united in mind and thought. Tonight, Today we uh, turn to the concept of being united in tradition. Uh, this would be easy if we all had the same tradition, uh, but we probably don't, but we can still be perfectly united, even though we don't uh, all have the same traditions in the whole body of Christ, we can still be united. Now let's talk about, uh, let's think about, let's go back just a moment, I said that before I was supposed to. Let's think about traditions a little bit first. I imagine most everybody in here knows, at least the women, know what you're going to serve for Thanksgiving dinner. Probably already have that, uh, didn't even have to think about it probably, because it's a tradition most likely. And I assume you're having the proper things. You're having turkey and uh, dressing, uh, cornbread dressing, by the way. Uh, something with cranberries in it is appropriate. Uh, turkey gravy, uh, pecan pie, pumpkin pie for dessert. Now, believe it or not, I've heard that there are people that have other things on Thanksgiving. Uh, I've heard uh, that people put oysters in their dressing. It's not right, but they do it. <laughs> uh, I heard not too long ago of somebody that actually makes noodles for Thanksgiving and puts noodles on their potatoes instead of turkey gravy. That's not right. <laughs> and, and I imagine if I asked, if I surveyed, I would find some other strange things that some of you people do. Uh, on Thanksgiving, you know, obviously raised in a pagan household somehow. <laughs> but we can still be perfectly united. We, we have some different traditions, but we can still be perfectly united. Now, obviously, church traditions are a little bit different than that, but they really aren't too much different. Let's talk about traditions. Traditions are very important. Traditions are essential. They're, they're beneficial. They're good for us, and sometimes they're useless. Sometimes they're silly. 
uh, there are all kinds of traditions. In general, they're good things, but sometimes they aren't. I read not too long ago about the British Army and how they had in their manual that uh, the cannon crew, a crew that runs a cannon, has six men in it. And so for years, every time they roll out the big guns or do whatever they do, there were six men assigned to that. And they could only find work for five of them. The other guy didn't have anything to do. And finally somebody researched it, went back and looked, and the sixth guy was supposed to hold the horses. Okay, well, there aren't any horses anymore. But the tradition is there's six men in this crew. Now, we get traditions that sometimes get useless or out of bounds in some ways. Uh, how your family celebrates holidays, well, most of that's tradition. So much of what we do in private life and church life and business and everywhere is tradition. And part of the problem is sometimes we don't recognize it as tradition. We think this is what you've got to do. Read a story, I heard a story a long time ago about a young wife who uh, was ready to cook her first ham for her family. And so she asked her mother, how do you do this? And her mother said, well, the first thing you do is you cut a couple of inches off of each side of the ham. So she did that, and then she said, why do you do that? And the mother said, I don't know, it's just what my mom did. And so being a modern young lady, she that wasn't a good enough answer, so she went to her grandma and she said, Grandma, well, why did you cut the ends off the ham? And she said, I don't know, just the way mom did it. Well, luckily, great-grandma was still alive, so the young lady went to her and asked her, said, Great-grandma, why did you cut the ends off the ham? She said, well, so it would fit in the only pan I had. That's <laughs> yeah. the way we do things. It gets started. There might have been a purpose someday for it, but we just keep on going, and pretty soon we think that's the only way to do it. Everybody has transitions. Your family, my family. This church, other churches. Schools, businesses, uh, society. Everybody's got traditions. And in general, they're good and helpful in many ways. For instance, a family that has a tradition of praying before every meal. That's a great tradition. And that can go on for generations. Once the children learn that, that's, what you're, that's just what you're supposed to do. That's a good thing, a good tradition to have. Uh, if you get a new job and go to a different company, different business than you've been in, you'll soon find out that that business has unique traditions. And you have to learn those to get along. And it's called the corporate culture or whatever, but it's just traditions and the way they do things. I put the IBM logo up here because I remembered that years ago you could you could spot an IBM guy. Uh, you could spot an IBM rep because they had on a dark suit, white shirt, and a tie. That's just what they looked like. Now, some people say, well, they, they made them dress that way, yeah, but it was a tradition that had a purpose. Yeah. For instance, back in the days when IBM was really big, they both basically sold hardware. 
And back then they let other vendors sell software for their hardware. Well, when a business would put in IBM hardware and somebody else's software and things didn't work, they'd start asking, what's wrong with this? Well, those of you that have been in business know what happened. The software guys would say, it's the hardware's fault. And the hardware guys would say, it's the software guy's fault. Okay. Well, and finally, the businessman would get frustrated enough that he'd get everybody in a meeting and say, all right, we're going to solve this. And he'd ask, whose fault is this and how are we going to fix it and all that. Now, think about this. On one side of the table, you got three guys in dark suits, white shirts, and ties. And on the other side of the table, you got three programming geeks in tie-dye T-shirts. <laughs> and they're pointing fingers at each other. Who's the businessman going to believe? Yeah, he'd end up saying, all right, I, I believe you guys. Okay, there was a purpose to that. Okay, So traditions in families or businesses or, or whatever, and schools have traditions. Uh, I'm sorry for some of you unfortunate folks who grew up in Wichita and didn't get to go to North High School. You know, you, you just don't have the traditions that North High has. Some of you are trying to think about that just a little bit. North High has a rich tradition. It's been there a long time. And some, I, I think every time I see in the paper the new high school is opened in some town around here, I think they don't have any traditions. They've they got to start building them. They've got to start making them. And maybe 40 years from now they'll have rich traditions like older high schools. Here at Northside, we've got traditions. Family camp is a good tradition. A family camp enriches the family here. It welcomes new members like nothing else much can do. We've got the tradition of prayer pals here. We, uh, kindergarten graduation is becoming a tradition. Welcoming the seventh graders to the youth group is a tradition. And, uh, all those things are generally good. But traditions can become a problem, and that's what we're going to talk about the rest of the time tonight. Uh, even some that we have here at Northside might become a problem. For instance, I think there's a problem with the tradition of me introducing the elder that's going to say the opening prayer. <laughs> I've been thinking for a half hour for a reason for that. And best I could come up with is that I gave blood this morning and I'm a little lightheaded. You know, unfortunately that's not true. Um, so I guess I'll just change the tradition. From now on I'm just going to say some guy behind me is going to say the prayer. We'll be done with it. And that's a silly thing, but some traditions in churches can, get, can cause problems. True story. Preacher went to a small congregation to preach, had been there a while, and the people that usually prepared the communion table uh, were absent, going to be gone one week. So they asked the preacher, they said, you're there, would you go ahead and prepare the communion for us? And he said, sure. Well, the communion w was laid out on the table, the bread and the, the juice, and then there was a fine linen cloth laid over the top of it. And the preacher always kind of wondered about that, but... That's just the way they did it there. Well, the Sunday that he fixed communion, he got to the end of it and he thought, I don't know what this cloth is good for. 
And so he just wadded it up and threw it under the table and didn't put it over. Well, when people started showing up, there was outrage. People were excited. That's, that's not communion. You can't do it that way. Where's the cloth? What's going on here? And the preacher said, well, I didn't know what it was going to what, what is it for? And they all looked at each other and said, I don't know. And so they started asking, and they finally got to the old timer in the congregation and said, why do we put that cloth over communion? And he said, well, I think we started that back before we had air conditioning. When we had the windows open, that was to keep the flies off. True story. Okay, Something that started with a good purpose, there was a reason for it, had become so essential that it would cause a fight. It would get people upset. We've got to do it this way because we've always done it that way. Yeah. We understand a lot about traditions and how they can they be good things, but they can affect unity. They can create division. For this problem, we can learn a whole lot from the Pharisees. The Pharisees had a whole lot of trouble with Jesus. Uh, someone's counted the discourses that Jesus had in the four Gospels, and fully a fourth of them, one quarter, are Jesus wrangling with the Pharisees. And it's usually about tradition. Oh, now, we think of the Pharisees as these horrible old cranks that, that just run around looking for trouble. And they sort of were like that. But I think we need to know, to understand this lesson, that they started with the best of intentions. The period between the Testaments was a time of great change in Judea. The, the Greeks started to have a lot of influence. And people wanted to implement some of these Grecian ideas into the Jewish worship services and Jewish tradition and all of that. And the Pharisees were a group of people. They came out of a group called the godly people. And their goal was to preserve Judaism, to keep it from becoming paganized, to keep it from going off track. That's what they wanted to do. Josephus, who was a Pharisee, wrote about them, and he called them the exact ones, the precise ones. And that's what they were. They read the Torah, the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, where all the laws are. They read those and studied the laws and thought about them and tried to make sure that nobody changed any of them. Nobody broke any of them in any way. Well, to make sure they did that, sometimes there were kind of gray areas. You know, like all the law says is, don't work on the Sabbath. Well, that's not black and white. What's work? And so they started writing rules and discussing it and writing them down, and they collected them in a book called The Traditions of the Elders that interpreted the laws and added to them to make sure nobody could possibly break a law. Okay. Pretty good, real good intentions. That's what they wanted to do, was to preserve the faith. 
They made these rulings on unclear things so nobody would slip off the path. And over the years, those traditions became like the linen cloth. They became law. They became what you had to do, even though they weren't really law. They were just traditions. Now, there's an example in Matthew 15, which was already read for you. It's about eating unclean things and washings. And a lot of the traditions of the elders were about ceremonial washings and diet and all that. Now, here's how that started. The old law said, don't eat unclean things. Okay? Don't touch a dead body. Don't eat unclean things. Keep yourself pure that way. Okay? So the Pharisees wanted to make sure nobody ever ate anything unclean, so they started making rules. Well, what if you've been to the marketplace and you accidentally touch somebody that was unclean? And then you go home for your lunch and you pick up the sandwich. And even though it's clean, you've touched something unclean. So, well, you need to wash before you eat. That's the first step. Well, they kept going. You, You want to make sure you're really clean. So by the time Jesus got there, they had this huge system of ceremonial washings that you had to do it the exact right way with the exact right bowl of water and you had to hold your hands a certain way and do them so many times and on and on and on to make sure that you didn't have any unclean thing going in your mouth. And that had become so serious to them that they watched for that in everybody. And that's what's happening in Matthew 15. The Pharisees came to Jesus and said, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash the hands before they eat. Now, Jesus kept the law perfectly. Jesus didn't break the law. But the tradition of washing before eating and all that, that wasn't law. And so instead of explaining that, instead of just saying, well, that's a tradition. I don't have to keep traditions. Look what Jesus did in verse 3. He said, why do you break the command of God? They asked him, why do you break the traditions of the elders? He said, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Now we're getting to the heart of the problem. Now we'd see the problem with traditions. And then he gives them an example. God said, honor your father and your mother. That's a law. But they had come up with a tradition, and what it started was as you could promise things to God, kind of like we do when we fill out a pledge form. We kind of promise that I'm going to give this much to know your Bible this year. Well, they did that, except they didn't have to fill out a form, and it wasn't for a specific purpose. They could just say, this much money that I have, I'm going to give that to God. That's promised to God. They didn't have to give it to God. They just had to promise it. And then when mom and dad came along and said, man, we are, we're starving over here. You know, dad can't work anymore and there's no social security. There's no, we need some help. The Pharisees could actually say, well, I'm sorry, everything I got, I promised to God. Their term for that was Corban. It's Corban, it's promised to God. 
They did that, and it didn't bother them. But they were watching who washed their hands. Okay. That's the problem here. That's what Jesus said. They said, why do you break the tradition? He said, why do you break the command for your tradition? Corban, promising to God, that's just a tradition. That's no law. And you keep that and break the commands of God. Now, it's pretty strong stuff. Jesus goes on and calls them hypocrites. Verse 7, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules of men. That's strong stuff. And the problem was these guys let traditions take over. They let traditions divide. Lots of traditions are good. How do we keep them from going bad? Let me suggest just a few ways that traditions can go bad and will be done. First, traditions are bad if they become mandatory. If they become mandatory. Matthew chapter 23. Another problem here with the Pharisees. Jesus said to the crowds, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. If they interpret the law, you've got to do that. But don't do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. All these things that originally had a good purpose, all these traditions, Jesus said they tie these things up and they put them on people and people can't bear these heavy loads. Paul said that. He said we had a burden we couldn't bear. Okay? And when traditions become mandatory, where everybody's got to do them and everybody's got to follow them and everybody's got to... um, be on the same track as the guy that enforces the traditions, they're mandatory, and that's a problem. Part of God's training for Cindy and I was when we were young, and I just got out of college. Uh, We had to move from Wichita, and we went to a number of different states and a number of different churches, and some of them were very small, and some of them were very uh, healthy, and some of them were very unhealthy. We saw a lot of different things. Well, in a couple of those churches, there were Pharisees. Again, the fact I still remember one guy, that's what I called him, was the Pharisee. I'd get home and talk to Cindy about it and say, you won't believe what the Pharisee said. And because these guys in different places, they would kind of keep their eyes out for anything new and different. And anything that was a little bit new and different, they'd say, you can't do that. You can't do that here. Well, we've never done that before. They had their traditions that they were telling young Christians, you don't try that, don't try anything new, don't try anything different. And you'd ask people, you'd come up with a good idea sometimes, say, how about we do this? And they say, oh, we couldn't do that. Brother so-and-so, he wouldn't like that. Okay, they were Pharisees. They made it mandatory on other people. That's bad. Secondly, traditions are bad if they keep people out of the kingdom. You may think, how in the world could a tradition keep people out of the kingdom? 
Well, down a little lower in Matthew 23, 13, that's exactly what Jesus accused them of. He said, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You've got all these rules and regulations and the way you operate, and when people see you operate, people don't want to become a part of the kingdom. And if we turn traditions into to mandatory things and, and make sure everybody has to do exactly the same thing, it's not appealing to people. People stay out of the kingdom because of it. Yeah. Now, mature people kind of understand and accept it and all that, but I'm talking about new people, people that aren't in the kingdom, brand new Christians. I was asked to help with a funeral one time, a family that... Uh, mother had passed away and she had been raised in this uh, denominational church, this high church. And uh, so they wanted to do the funeral there and have that pastor do the service. And they wanted me to help somehow. So they asked if I could read a scripture. And the guy, the guy in charge said, yeah, I could do that. So I show up early for the funeral and I find this pastor and I tell him who I am and that I'm there to read the scripture and he wasn't too impressed with me. Okay? I didn't have a robe or anything. I looked kind of shoddy, I guess. But anyhow, I said, what scripture is it? And, where is it? and he said, I've put the scripture on the lectern. You can go into the sanctuary and it's on the lectern. And so I went in and looked and I, there were two pulpits on the stage. Okay? And so I went up to the one over there that I assumed was the pulpit, and I looked, and there wasn't anything. So I went back out and found him, and I said, I looked up there, and there's no scripture there. Now he really wasn't impressed with me. He said, well, he said, I said it was on the lectern. That's the pulpit. That's the lectern. I said, oh, Okay. So I went and got the scripture off the lectern, and that's where I read from. You read, this, you read the scripture from the lectern. You preach from the pulpit. Okay? Now, <laughs> it may, may look like that bothered me, but that didn't bother me. But think about some brand new Christian that doesn't understand and gets that kind of treatment. You don't understand our tradition. You're not very smart. You don't get it. you got to follow our traditions. You ought to know what they're for. You ought to do them without questioning. Just do it. Understand how it can keep people from the kingdom of God? Ask a missionary sometime. Next time Jonathan's home or whatever, find a missionary and ask them, what kind of problems do you have in the field? And one thing they'll tell you, will be up pretty close to the top of the list, is other gospel preachers. Other preachers from the Church of Christ that have some minority, obscure opinion about something and start teaching it to new Christians. And they get new Christians so confused. Uh, Jonathan, I thought you told me Jesus died for my sins, and if I'm baptized, I'm in the kingdom, and I'll grow up and all that. And this guy over here tells me that I've got to do this, and I can't do that, and I've got to follow this, and I've got to understand this. And I... 
I'm confused. And when we lay all this stuff on people, when we it shuts the door in their faces. Thirdly, traditions are bad if they replace God's word. Mark chapter 7. Jesus said this exactly to them. Mark chapter 7, there's a story uh, the same as Matthew 15. This is about washing their hands and being clean and unclean and all of that. Go down to verse 13 of chapter 7 after he's had the same discussion that we just read. Verse 13, he says, uh, You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you handed down. How many things do you do like that? Okay. This was the Corban thing and all that. He said, you nullify the word of God. The word of God says, honor your father and mother. But you've come up with this tradition and you nullify, you replace the word of God. You kick it out of the way and you break it so you can keep your tradition. Okay. When traditions replace God's word, there's a problem. Okay. We, we receive some periodicals in the... The, the office, and uh, there's supposedly Bible teaching from people but, and other gospel preachers. But the ones I'm talking about, all they really do is rail against people who are doing something different than they think they ought to do. Okay? They, they've got their traditions, and they think everybody ought to follow them, and they harass anybody that does something differently. Now, what they rail against is rarely... Any violation of God's word, what it is is a transgression of tradition. And I know I shouldn't read those things. It's not good for me. You shouldn't read them either. But it's kind of a morbid fascination to see what these guys come up with next. You know, they're always thinking of something that, where did that come from? I read one just not too long ago. The guy wrote this huge article about how preachers with a PhD degree, should never use the title doctor in front of their name. And he, the only Bible he put in there was the verse that says, Jesus said you shouldn't be called rabbi. Okay? So he had taken that and interpreted it and made a tradition that gospel preachers should never use a title like doctor, even if they've got a PhD. Well, that's okay with me if you don't want to use the title. But see what happened here? We're spending all this time not talking about God's Word. We're talking about traditions and things that replace God's Word. And eventually, if you read enough of this stuff, you'd come up with a list of identifiers that you can tell if somebody's faithful or not. It has nothing to do with God's Word. It's just all a list of traditions and preferences. Look at that story again. The Pharisees are watching. That's what they do. They're following Jesus around. They decide to be looking for things. Aha! You don't wash your hands. You broke one of our traditions. And Jesus says, you've let go of God's word. You've let go of God's word and you're holding on to traditions. He calls them hypocrites. He said they don't worship. They worship him in vain. Fourthly, Traditions are bad if they hinder us from doing good. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, there's a story about a man with a, a shriveled hand, a crippled hand. And it's the Sabbath, and Jesus runs into this guy, 
And the Pharisees go on point. They say, aha, <laughs> we'll watch this one. Because you can't work on the Sabbath. And according to our traditions, healing somebody would be work. So let's see what Jesus does. Well, Jesus knew exactly what they were scheming. So he stood the guy up in front of them and he asked them. He said, what's right to do on the Sabbath? What's a good thing? Is it to heal? Is that a good thing? Or to not heal? And they didn't answer because they had their answer from the traditions, but they knew Jesus had them trapped. Jesus said, this is a good thing to do. And your traditions are telling me I can't do a good thing? That tradition's gone bad. There's something wrong with it. Traditions can keep us from doing good. I thought of one illustration, not a perfect one, but we have an area-wide worship once a year. We used to do that a long time ago in Churches of Christ in Wichita, and then we got out of it for a while because of different things going on. But about 10 years ago, we started it again. A few preachers got together and said, that'd be a good thing to get all Christians in Wichita together. It is a good thing. And I happened to be in kind of charge of the starting it up. So before I did, I sent letters to everybody, every church in the neighborhood and the, the region, and asked them, you know, what would be a good time to do this? When would it be good for you? What, what would be some ideas you have? And all that. And some of them wrote back and said, we can't do that on Sunday evening. Because we can't dismiss Sunday evening service. Now, okay, if you don't want to dismiss Sunday evening service, that's okay with me. You know, if you just don't think you want to, well, tell me that. But when you say you can't, I smell Pharisee. You know, a tradition has become something that we can't violate this, even to do something good. And there may be other reasons, and I shouldn't be judgmental, I know all that. But uniting with the brethren is a good thing, I think. Traditions go bad if they hinder us from doing good. Fifthly and last, traditions are bad if they distract us from our mission. Mark chapter 2, the story is about fasting. The Pharisees were watching again. They had a whole number of fasts that they'd listed in their traditions. The law, the Bible, the Torah commanded one fast, one fast a year. That's all. Pharisees had come up with a whole other list. You got to fast here, you got to fast this day, you got to do this. And they imposed it on everybody. And Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. And they said, Aha, you're breaking the traditions, you're not fasting. And Jesus' answer was, well, they got to fast for. <laughs> you know, the bridegroom's still here. So we got work to do. But we've got a mission. We don't have time to take a day off and, and fast. Oh, we've got work to do here. Well, that's what we need to keep in mind. What, what's our mission? Now, some of you may be thinking, well, what traditions is he talking about at Northside that are so bad? I don't think we've got any bad ones. I'm... I'm like Goldilocks. I think all of ours are just right. 
you know. But I'm telling you all this because I don't want them to go bad. I don't want us to slip off the edge and start making traditions a bad thing. If we have any that keep us from doing our mission, what's our mission? Reaching the lost and growing people up in Christ. That's what we're here to do. Okay? Now, if we have a tradition that keeps us from doing that, then we need to change that tradition. Now, we got a lot of traditions here. And the way, when I came here in 1957, let's say it this way, the way that we reached the lost and grew people up in Christ was we met on Sunday morning, we met on Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we met on Wednesday night, we had a ladies' Bible class during the week, we had a VBS one time during the summer, we had one or two gospel meetings a year, we had teen camp. Some of those things have changed. Some of them haven't changed. But as society changes, as things happen, we may need to change some of those things to do our mission better, to reach the lost and grow people up in Christ. Now, we don't realize how much we do as tradition, I don't think. We think that's just the way it's supposed to be done. And I thought, what if Paul visited? And what if the Apostle Paul showed up this morning? Walked in out there in the door and the greeters greeted him and said, Welcome to Northside. Well, I'm new here. What do I do? Well, it's almost 9 o'clock and we go to Sunday school. Sunday what? Paul doesn't know anything about Sunday school. Well, okay, it's a class thing we do. And after that, then we go into worship. And we're in this big room here for an hour. We worship for an hour. An hour? You just worship for an hour? You've gone to all the trouble to get here, and you get in and out in an hour? Well, yeah, that's the way we do it. Okay, but we come back at 6. You come back at six. You're telling me I just walked two hours to get here? You want me to worship for an hour or walk back home and come back at six? That's crazy. Yeah. Paul wouldn't understand. If we brought him in this room and said, well, here's where we worship and all that, he'd say, what's that thing up there on the stage? What's, what's, oh, that's our pulpit. It's a pulpit, not a lectern, by the way. <laughs> That's a pulpit. He's, what do you mean a pulpit? See, pulpits started, they, they elevated them to make the preacher look special, plus it, they didn't have PA systems. So they got the preacher up high where he could speak down, the acoustics were better and all that. That's where pulpits came from. It's just a tradition. You don't have to have one. Paul would say, what are those things on the back of the pews? For that matter, he'd say, what are those pews? But what are those things on the back of the pews? The song books. What's that? And what's a, what's a guy up front waving his arm while everybody's singing? You, have a, you call him a song leader? What's that? Paul didn't have any of that stuff. He wasn't familiar with any of that. And the singing you're doing, that really sounds strange. It, it, you call it four-part harmony? 
That's odd. We used to kind of chant is how we did it. You have a a what song? An invitation song? At the end of the sermon? I never heard of such a thing. Okay, how many of those things do we think are just what you got to do? And the Apostle Paul wouldn't recognize them. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying we, we should stop them. If they're good and they help us accomplish our mission, we ought to do them. You know, I'm sure Paul sitting there reading the handout would say, youth group, what's a youth group? Christmas project, what's a Christmas project? Children's training hour? What parents train children? What's a children's training hour? Ah, <laughs> oh, here's something biblical. Titus 2. <laughs> a Titus 2 ladies group. Hey, what, that sounds good. Thanksgiving Devo? Holiday basket? All really good traditions here at Northside, but Paul wouldn't recognize them. Once again, I'm not saying I want to stop them. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying we ought to realize how many things we do that are tradition. And traditions are different. They're very different than they were 2,000 years ago. And they'll be different 10 years from now. And that's okay. If we still know what our mission is, traditions are okay. If we're still able to do good, traditions are okay. If we keep God's word preeminent and don't replace it with traditions. If we make sure that people, it's easy for people to enter the kingdom, that we don't hinder them from entering the kingdom by slamming the door in their face with traditions. If we don't make our traditions mandatory, where either ourselves have to do them or other people have to do them, then traditions are okay. But when any of those things begin to happen, it can create division. If we don't understand what traditions are and understand our priorities. Jesus warned his followers. Let's close with this one. In Matthew 16, 11, he told his disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. The stuff the Pharisees teach, because they teach their traditions and not God's word. What they teach is dangerous. And they teach you have to follow them. They teach all those things we've just talked about. He said that is yeast that gets into the body and it is dangerous. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. We have some great traditions at Northside. We've probably got some that are a little bit shaky too, but we've got some really good traditions. As long as we recognize what they are and handle them right, we'll always be perfectly united. That's our prayer. Next time, we're going to talk about united in worship. Worship is one time when uh, yeah, it's caused a lot of divisions in a lot of churches, what we do in worship. So next time, we're going to talk about that and being united in worship. The lesson is yours. If you're here this morning and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, uh, we're going to sing an tra- invitation song, which is traditional, but it's a good tradition. Uh, we don't know in a crowd this big how many people are here that might need to respond to the gospel or be ready to do that. And we want to give you that opportunity. So let's stand and sing and come if you need to.